Hello, hello. Hey, good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing well? This is, oh, okay. Right. This is the end of the semester, right? So it's the last cross point, which is sad. But there'll be some more in a few weeks when summer one starts. So, uh, so that's okay. Are y'all feeling all right? Finals coming up? Feeling pretty good? Okay. No, you're feeling terrible about it. No? Okay. Okay, so yeah, I just want to let you know um, that this is the last cross point of this semester. That if you are here for summer one, we will do sort of a trimmed down version of cross point. It'll be in the chapel. Uh, it's really kind of nice. Uh, it's a lot more intimate. It's a lot less of me yelling and more of just me talking. Um, so that's kind of nice. Uh, and then we'll also have a Wednesday night community group that's for everybody. So it's a co-ed Wednesday night group. We'll all meet at the Yellow House. Um, and so if you're in town, come check that out. We'll still feed you. The food won't be as good. It'll be like pizza and fried chicken and pizza and fried chicken. We'll rotate. Um, so, so yeah, that'll be good. Um, so there's a particular reason that I'm doing the welcome tonight and not Joe. And... Uh, You're really only going to hear me talk about this twice a year at the end of the semester. Um, And so I wanted to bring some to your attention. If you could look at this for me, please. This is really kind of, uh, it's kind of important to me. Um, It's something that we've been talking about for the last year and a half, and we really have hesitated to kick it off, uh, specifically because it's about money. Um, And so kind of what I want to say, I wanted to explain this to you. Um, we don't invite you here and ask you for money ever. You'll never really hear that, except for tonight. Um, and uh, what you'll understand about this church is that a large portion of the budget of this church goes to students who are gradually uh, taking over the church. So if you notice like 11 o'clock, it's like half students, um, which is a beautiful thing, except for the fact that that creates... Um, lopsidedness in our church a bit. Uh, It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. We trust the Lord in it. But the fact of the matter is there is a population of adults that support financially a lot of what goes on here. And the more students come into that, we pray for that, and that's a good thing. But it also means that's a larger portion of our church uh, that is unable to give financially to everything that's going on at Grace. Um, And as much as you might not like it, it costs money to do what we're doing here. Um, And so at the end of every semester, what we are going to try to do is encourage you and ask you. um, And this is really only, like if you're first time at Grace, I I don't even want you really thinking about it. Um, But if you have been a part of Crosspoint and a part of Grace for, for, you know, some of your college career and it has been a blessing to you, we are asking um, gently and firmly that you would think about something after you graduate that you would think about this thing that we're calling Crosspoint Give Back. That after you graduate, that we're not going to ask you for anything while you're here. But while you're here, there's a lot of energy, a lot of time, and instantly a lot of money that's being poured into, into you guys. And it's a good thing. But we're asking that after you graduate, if you find yourself with a job and you find yourself financially stable, that you would return back to a ministry that's poured into you for the specific purpose of us doing more 
um, and fulfilling some dreams that we on leadership have to advance discipleship in ways that we can't do right now because we don't have the people for it. Um, I think one thing that you will notice and feel, there are more people at this church that need to be discipled than there are people who can make disciples. And that is a supply-demand issue that is very difficult to fix. It is one that takes a long time to fix. One of the ways that we foresee fixing that is an advanced discipleship program, um, an advanced ministry training program that will incidentally cost more money. Um, And so what we are asking is that as you graduate, if you are graduating, that you would consider giving on a monthly basis, something like 20 bucks a month to Crosspoint specifically so that we can begin doing these next steps that we see on the horizon. Um, that will actually fund us so that, one, we can be less of a burden on the adults who do want to give and love what's going on here, and then two, we can advance into some places that we can't advance right now, specifically because of the finances. Um, and so I wanted to let you know that this isn't about us needing more money because things are wrong. This isn't about us needing more money because we want fancier things. Uh, this is about needing more people who can make disciples in this city so more people can be made disciples of in this city. Um, and that's specifically why I wanted to ask you that, that you would think about that, that you would think about praying about that as you do graduate and you move on and you become financially stable You'd pour back into this specific ministry if it has been a blessing to you, right? If you've just come a few times and visited and checked things out, I honestly don't even want you thinking about that. Unless the Lord speaks to you in a dream and tells you to give us a huge lump sum of cash. I, I, uh, (laughs) come on, that's right. Okay, so, so that's that. Um, I've put on here, if you'd please check it out, read about it. We've got more information online. Um, if you would, if you are interested and you know you want to do that, like if you're like, okay, I could see that. I know I've got a job coming up. This is going to be sweet. Like check me on there. Um, there's a box for that. If you are like, okay, maybe, or I don't have a job lined up yet, but I like the idea of that. Then there's a box above that where we can just send you occasional things. One where we can send you occasional stories of what's going on because there are some beautiful things that continue to go on that never really get set from the stage or in a video or anything. Um, and that secondly, when you do fall into a huge pile of money, uh, we can remind you that you should send some this way. <laughs> right? Okay. Man, y'all have not given me much room to preach. Um, I'm probably going to come down there. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Uh, I don't want to take that either. Okay. I'll come down here. Um, so we're going to shift gears tonight. Oh, this is way different down here. Do you feel, y'all, do y'all feel weird? Yeah, you do. Okay, Um, we're going to shift gears now. Uh, I'm only going to spend a little bit of time preaching tonight. Uh, Tonight I want to be much more about worshiping and meeting with the Lord, specifically because I think there's a lot coming up in your lives, even if you're not graduating, even if you're, you know, you're a freshman, um, you're going home for the summer, you're going to do something specific for the summer, power um, is this huge thing to have control. And you even feel it within our culture, but in our culture it's a little more subtle Um, significance takes the form of you don't just want a job that'll provide your finances you want rather a job that is socially acceptable and I say that not in a way that you don't want to be a drug dealer or a stripper or something but you want to have a job that people look at and say you're a meaningful member of the community you are a professor with a doctorate or you are a business owner you make decisions and people listen to you so you don't just want to have money you know, to make it, 
you want to have a significant place within the world. You want people to look at you and say that person is important, that person is valuable. And so at the deep human level, we have these three, and I think there's probably more, but as I was thinking about it and talking to people, it seemed like these kept coming up, satisfaction, security, and significance. And that what we will do, the world paints it for us, what's the trajectory you need to get on to get those things? Um, and we talked about that, and we talked about it a ton. Um, but there's something I wanted to dive into a little more tonight. There's something really interesting, and we hit this last time. Can you think of something that provides all of those at one time? Something that provides satisfaction, security, and significance all at the same time. And, and you'll say God, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But something that's not God. We'll get there. I'll give you that answer in a second. Okay, yeah, yeah, Okay, so family, let's broaden that, and let's say relationships. That's what I want to say is relationships. So do you know how, and it, it, maybe a dating relationship is a good example because, you know, most of us have been dating relationships. Where when you have this person that really likes you and you spend time with them, there's a degree of satisfaction that you feel. There's a degree of, like, I really enjoy this. I really enjoy this. Huge amounts of satisfaction come with a very intimate relationship. Security. If everything goes wrong, this person is here. All you need is love, love, sweet love, right? If everything goes wrong, this person, at least I have this person. And then significance. I am valued by another person. I am seen as important by another person. So you see this interesting place where a relationship will actually provide all three of these at exactly the same time in a way that money won't, in a way that mere sex won't in a way that political power or social power won't. Very interesting that relationships do that, right? What's at the heart of relationships that make that possible? What's at the heart of relationships that might make that so satisfying, secure, and significant? Is love, right? Is love. Love is this extremely powerful force, this extremely powerful force. Right, and so I think it's really important um, that we notice that up front, that love has this ability to bring satisfaction almost in waves, to bring security almost in waves and significance, right? Like in a real powerful way, to be loved by another being is extremely powerful in what it does to whatever it is in us that wants these things of satisfaction, security, and significance. Because if you feel at a deep level, you don't think, I want to be satisfied. But you do feel this sort of hollowness and emptiness with something, an object in mind that you think can fill that. You know what I mean when I say that? You know that feeling? You, you know that feeling when you like somebody that doesn't like you back? You know that feeling? Yeah, okay, you can hide it, but you know that feeling. <laughs> you know that deep sort of hole or emptiness that you perceive in your mind will go away if that person showed you the affection that you wish they would? You know that feeling? There's that, that it's like right here. You know what I mean? It's like literally right here. You like, or like, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't feel it here. This is where I feel it. 
Or when you want something, maybe it's not even a person, maybe it's something that you deeply want and desire. Maybe it's hopes for the future. And so those satisfaction, security, significance, they're behind it, but the object of those things is typically something very physical and very real. It's not, I need satisfaction. You know what I mean? We don't really think that way. I'm a dinosaur arm. <laughs> but this is where you want it. That's just, what, anyway. Anyway. So you see where I'm going. There's like this need and desire within the inner man that craves things to make it feel secure, make it feel satisfied, make it feel important. And then so we place an object in our mind that will actually fulfill that. And then we get that object and it doesn't work. Or we don't get that object and it grows and it eats at us. And it makes us weak and wanting. Um, makes us a bit powerless. Uh, it's kind of a bad thing, right? So keep that in mind. I want to use that to sort of paint the direction we're going tonight. So let's jump into Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. When he says for this reason, he's just looking back at the last part of Ephesians and really what he's unpacking in the part previous to this is the purposes of God in history to use the Jews and then Jesus to bring about the opportunity for reconciliation to all of mankind. There's a good way to say that. He's saying for this reason, so that whole section is about the working of the Jewish people and how God is now united um, in Jesus the opportunity for not just Jews to be a part of the family of God, but anyone to be a part of the family of God. So now where it was just Jews who had favor from God and were in relationship with God prior to Jesus, Jesus brings about the opportunity for all mankind to be in relationship with God, and then he sort of brings about the reconciliating process between Jews and non-Jews in himself. So there's this big story about the purposes of God in history. It's this huge story. And then he's sort of unpacking that and tying it back together. And he says, on account of the purposes of God, his ability to do all that he set forth to do from Abraham onwards, his ability to do all of that. Okay, for this reason, at a very personal level, I pray for you, the Ephesian church. Ultimately, I think you can take this beyond the Ephesian church too all believers, right? But he's saying in light of this beautiful working of God in history, I specifically know and understand the way that God is and his power to move to bring reconciliation to his creation. And for this reason, I pray for individuals. This is what he prays for the individuals. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay. In your inner being. I want you to think about that and connect that to what we just unpacked about satisfaction, security, and significance. It's that inner being that wants another person to satisfy you. It's that inner being that wants, and it's weakness and need within the inner being that places the object of its fulfillment on people, on things, on money, on sex, on experiences, on traveling, on whatever you want to place that object. It's weakness and need within the inner being that says, I need this and this will satisfy this. And so, again, your inner being is right here. It's right below your ribs and above your stomach. Not really. 
And so he's saying, as I'm praying, as I'm realizing that God has worked throughout history to reconcile mankind to each other and then men to God, I'm praying for you individually that there would be strength, there would be power in your inner being, and here we go. How does that happen? What is that like? What's that about? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. My phone. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, let's connect all that and we can do it pretty quickly. We can actually do it very quickly. There's something about being strengthened with power in the inner man. There's something about creating a stable inner being that is not so needy of the things around you and such in a place of necessity to use the physical realm to satisfy you. There's a degree of strength that can be had and the strength that comes from Uh, That strength comes specifically from being rooted and grounded in the love, incidentally, like we've already unpacked, the power that love has, but not the love of a human, rather the love of God himself. And he goes to say this over and over and over, that Christ dwells within you That Christ dwells within you, not in some weird spiritual way, but as you become so rooted and grounded in the relationship that you have with God the Father through the work of Jesus the Son, which now results in the Spirit dwelling inside of you, so that there's this relationship that you have with God that is so powerful and meaningful in that there is confidence in you regarding just how big and wide and important and meaningful God's love actually is. So let's connect that for a second, right? We want satisfaction, security, significance. We've seen that relationships can provide all three of those at one time. Good relationships do that better than bad relationships. Good, healthy relationships can actually provide that, but they do that in an incomplete way. Why do they do that? Well, there's love inside of a relationship that makes you feel significant. It makes you feel uh, secure. If everything goes bad, this person will be there and they'll have my back no matter what. There's a beautiful security right there. Satisfied. If I lose everybody, I've got this one person. Okay, they want... Think about the power that love has. Think about the power that love has. And then you place that on top of a God that has been working for thousands of years to bring reconciliation, to bring about the restoring of your relationship to him so that you can once again be all that you were created to be, that you can bear his image in a way that he designed you to bear so you can bring his glory to the earth in a way that he designed you to bring his glory to the earth. But all of this is wrapped up in, all of this big theological talk is wrapped up in your confidence in the fact that God loves you. And so that, that phrase, we, f- we throw it around so flippantly, that God loves you. And yet, within the economy of the Scriptures, it is the single most powerful thing. It drove Jesus 
to become a human and die on a cross. It drove God the Father to make a promise to Abraham that he would give him a family and then give him a nation and then bring about the reconciling of all nations back to God through a person in that line. It's this love that the Creator has for a for a race of beings that have rejected him over and over. And this love that he has in such a deep way that he cares about what happens to you over this summer. He cares about how you feel about the, uh, the guilt that you feel regarding mistakes that you've made. It's a God that cares about what's going to happen in 10 years, but also cares about what's happening to you right now and is willing and able and powerful to work in your present circumstances to bring about health, vitality, well-being, strength for the sake of something bigger, the advance of His kingdom and the bringing of His glory and all those things, right? But it all comes back to... To put it maybe too simply, maybe too simply, do you know that God loves you? Like know it in the way that he's talking about, in the way that he's praying for. That you are rooted and grounded in the things that love provides. That degree of satisfaction and security and significance. That you'd have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God. This one thing will govern everything else about your summer, about your future. This one thing. This one thing. That you are rooted and grounded in love. This, this particular text plays a central role in the book of Ephesians. You can kind of say that Ephesians 1 to 3 is all of the theology of who God is and what he has done in Christ. It's this huge theological work. And all of it comes to a focal point on do you know and have a deep knowledge and security in God's love for you. It's kind of profound that in the hugeness of theology it comes down to this thing. Um, and my guess is, and I hate to be a downer, my guess is you, most of us don't walk in the comfort and the power of the knowledge of the love of God. I think we mentally accept that it's probably true. But the fact that God loves me and will guide my tomorrow is not that powerful of a thought. The fact that God loves me and will actually guide and direct the next huge steps that I'm about to take, not, very, not much of a comforting thought. It's a good thought. It's a nice thought. But does it does it give me a spine that stands up and says, okay, I've moved forward to this even though there's a bit of a lack of clarity in what's going to happen? How can I move forward with that sort of security? Because I know that the creator of everything who has died to reconcile me back to him will also guide and direct my path as a good shepherd will. That he's made promises to his sheep about the way that he will lead and guide. And those promises are that he will bring you to quiet waters where he will 
let you rest. He will bring you to fields, to green pastures where you are provided for that you don't have to provide for yourself, that He longs to provide for you. He longs to lead you. He longs to restore your soul. And that in this, He cares about your day-to-day-to-day-to-day life. He doesn't just care about this one big thing He might get you to do later on. That He loves you to the degree that a father loves a child and a mother loves a child. He loves you to this profound degree that He doesn't just want to reconcile you to save you from this world, but rather He wants to reconcile you to Him so that He can walk with you in the way that He created you to be step by step by step by step as He makes you into the image of His Son. And He does powerful things through you for the advance of His kingdom on this earth. That He wants to do it. He longs to do it. He loves to do it. Do do the things that love provide. Do you walk in those things? Do you walk in those things? Or do you agree that they're there? Okay, let's jump into one more quick application. My guess is one of the reasons we don't walk in these things is very, very simple. We do not give time to the Lord for Him to settle them into our hearts. I've noticed this is a powerful, powerful thing. That if we stop from our busyness and our friends and all of the things that we feel like we have to do and we give him like an hour and a half to just stop. And I'm not saying jump in and read your Bible and do your Bethmore Bible study and all, all that. Right? I'm saying stop, draw inward, regarding your fears, your anxieties, your guilt, your shame, the happy things, and you lay them in front of him and say, God, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this, I'm scared about this, I'm scared about this, but I do trust you, you're a good shepherd, you love me, your blood is good for every mistake. And I talk it out with him, and I affirm the things that he said, right? And I take a moment to breathe in something that I know is true. There's a way that what I know is true begins to settle into my heart and my mind. But it's the busyness of life and our myopic focus on the things we have to do that are really not that important in the big scheme of things that take our mind and our heart away from this huge, beautiful, valuable, integral truth that he loves you deeply, deeply as his child, that he's willing to do whatever it takes to restore your soul and to bring about good things for you as he conforms you to the image of his son in obedience and that all that he has for you is good, even though sometimes it's hard. And so let's keep moving down that path. What I've noticed about life with the Lord is that it's bit built in rhythms. This is why I consistently try to call you to, hey, take time out of your morning to spend with the Lord and just turn over those things that are in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Your will be done, not my will. I've done this and I need forgiveness, Father. I thank you for your forgiveness. I am angry at this person because they are stupid. And Father, I forgive them. I believe the blood of Jesus is good for them. I am vulnerable in this way, and I believe that you can guard me from temptation. That on a daily basis, we build in this rhythm that says, stop and breathe in 
Stop and breathe in. Stop and recognize what's important. Stop and just take that Lord's Prayer and walk through it in such a way that you turn over these things that you put on your back the day before. You just stop for a moment and do that. And so we build these rhythms into our day, but there's something that's more important than that is that even in the greater rhythm of our life, we build in longer periods of time where rest happens. So if you look at the history of Israel, what you see is on a weekly basis, there's a period of rest. On a yearly basis, there are seven days of rest. Right? So that as the, the bigger you go, the longer rest periods are. On a day, maybe it's an hour. In a week, maybe it's a day. Right? The Sabbath is something you could be stoned for and killed if you didn't obey. Because God really saw in the heart of his people, you're going to try to work seven days a week to provide for yourself because you're so scared, you're so, insecurity, you're, you're so insecure in the future that you think everything's on your shoulders. So stop working for a day and see that it's on my shoulders and I'll provide. And so he builds into the life of his people rhythms of rest. And that if you do not walk in those rhythms of rest, you will forfeit the things that love provides to you. Namely, satisfaction that's deep and not just mental. Security that's not just, not just mental, but yet actually gives you a stiff spine as you move forward, as you look to make big decisions, right? Okay, so let's drop this in. You are approaching, whether you realize it or not, a time in your rhythm where you are given the opportunity to slow down. You are given the opportunity to slow down. You have had a crazy two semesters, no doubt. Not just with school, but with your crazy friends and all the stuff going on in this town. Okay. You are now going to enter into a different time in a different place. So how many of you are going to a home that is antagonistic regarding your Christianity. If you can... All right, you don't have to tell me. Antagonistic meaning you're going into a home where the people there don't really appreciate the fact that you're a Christian. Maybe it's not your parents, maybe it's your old friends. How many of you are doing that? None of you? Okay, okay. All right, we got one. All right. How many of you are going home to isolation. And when I say isolation, I don't mean <laughs> Nathan again. <laughs> you don't have community there. You don't have people that love the Lord and are speaking good things into your life. Maybe you have a lot of friends, but they speak a lot of bad things into your life. How many of you are going home to that sort of life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, how many of you are going to like work at a camp? Oh, we got a bunch of good Christians in the room. Come on now. Okay. Okay. How many of you are going into something else that's not one of those, but you find yourself very nervous and very scared about what it's going to be like? Okay. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new state. Right. Okay. How many of you, okay, how many of you are feeling pretty good about what the summer holds in store? Okay. Okay. okay this is good. Okay. All right, I want you to keep in mind this one thing, please. The Lord has already engineered a shift 
in your rhythms. He's already engineered that. You are approaching something that is different than what it has been. And if I ask most of you what got in the way of you actually spending good quality time in the Lord where you're anchoring and rooting yourself in love, what got in the way of that? Most of you would tell me it's school and all the things I've got to do for school and then maintaining all these relationships that I have here. Most of you are now walking away from those things. And if I ask you when you get back from the summer, how did it go? Did you find meaningful, consistent times with the Lord? Most of you are going to say no. And yet you don't have the excuses of school and all these crazy friends. What that tells me is not that you're weak-willed and you suck. What it tells me is that I understand the world that we live in and that the enemy is very, very good at interrupting the times of rhythm that you have prepared for you to walk. And he's very good at coming at you in specific ways to do specific things to bring you away from those things that the power of love provides. And when I say the power of loving, specifically rooting and grounding yourself in specific times and in specific ways, maybe in the morning or over the length of a couple days where you shut everything out and you just stop and say, Father, I need you to refresh me in the Word and take some of the Word here and settle it in onto my heart so that I remember again that, yeah, 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 you, you do love me. You do love me. And that actually means something. And you've worked in history and you've worked in reality in ways in my past that have shown me that you're there and you're guiding and directing and I trust that you're going to do that again and I breathe it in and I move out with a little more confidence and a little more grace and a little more moving forward in something that's not, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what's about to happen? And so, I want to be really clear. I want to be really clear. Each of you are walking into something different. If you're walking into a home that's antagonistic, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to pull away. But you need to be aware of what this summer can be. It can be a time to strengthen yourself in the Lord. It can be a time to pull away from a lot that's going on and be rooted and grounded in the love of God that Christ may dwell in your heart fully and that you'll see, like it says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a lot different than that empty wanting. It's full, powerful, stable, fullness that overflows. And so I would say this really quickly. Depending on if you're going to a camp, or if you're going home, or if you're going to isolation, or if you're going to something else crazy, I just want to say a couple things. Moral failure is dangerous for this reason. So you've probably said there are things that I know God doesn't want me to do and I'm going to stop doing those and you've ultimately done them again. Getting drunk, porn, partying, whatever, whatever, whatever. Moral failure is dangerous not because God looks at you and is angry with you, Moral failure is dangerous because if you don't take the thing that you did to the Lord and say, Father, I need forgiveness for this and I believe the blood of Jesus covers me in this and I'm returning to you now to be restored in our relationship because I believe the blood of Jesus is good for me. If you don't do that quickly, what happens is you have done, you've been on a good run where you didn't do this thing that you want to stop doing. You've been on a good run. You hit isolation at home. You don't have the support here that you have in this community. You start feeling these desires, this emptiness. You start feeling this want and then you go and fill that with that thing that 
you said you never were going to do again, and then you do that, and then you start feeling guilty that you did it, and now you're falling away from the Lord, and all it is is, I wish I would, I don't even know how he feels about it, and you just start walking away from the Lord in this really, really weird and gross and not clear way, because all you do is feel gross, you feel guilty, and you don't know that the Lord actually still loves you and cares for you, and that's why Jesus came, and you don't take the time to take the blood of Jesus and say, I believe it's good for that too, and then move forward into life, rather you just sort of like inch away from the Lord and then what happens ultimately is you still feel empty, you still feel gross, so then you go back to that thing or you go to something else that you don't want to do anymore and then you're just caught in this cycle for the next two months until you get back to your community and you're like, oh, I had such high hopes for the summer and then this one thing sent me on this spiral and now I've been spiraling out of I'm so glad to be back in community. Right? So that's like just one way that that plays out. It's just one way. Moral failure is dangerous, but it is a time for you to run quickly back to the cross, to lay it all down, be restored quickly, and then continue your journey with the Lord. Moral failure is dangerous, but probably not for the reason that you think. And so I would say, as you're moving through this summer, deal with your sin quickly. Set yourself up to be wise and not sin. And when you fail, run quickly back to the cross of Jesus. Quickly. The next day. He doesn't want you to feel guilty for three days so that the severity of your sin can settle in on you. That is not what Jesus did. He didn't say, hey, hang out for three days and then come back when you're good and ready and you know what you did. And he says, come quickly. Come quickly. Okay. Two. Your mission is dangerous. If you're going to a camp, you are going to begin to think that all of your pouring out for the Lord is actually bringing you favor. And you probably won't use those words, but you will spend 99.9% of your time pouring out, pouring out, pouring out in an environment that wants you to go to bed late and wake up early and pour yourself out and then take a day or two off so that you can sleep for most of those days. And then when you wake up, you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. My guess is some of you are going to have people there that are discipling you along the way. Some of you are not going to have people there that are discipling you along the way. So as the Lord is shaking you loose from some of these things, there's going to be nobody there to catch you. You're going to slip into isolation even though you're working for the Lord. And so what I want to say, your mission is important, but the minute you start thinking your mission is where you're going to get life or you're going to be connected to the Lord or you're going to find any sort of life at all, you're wrong. Your life in the Lord comes from consistent time where you are anchoring into Him and affirming His grace over you, His love for you, His guidance and direction for you. And as you are filled with the fullness of God, it then overflows into the lives of the people around you. Not from some I'm needy and wanting and need to feel important and so I'm going to sanctify that need by doing something really significant for the Lord. No, that's wrong. That doesn't work. And it will leave you more empty than when you started. You cannot fill that emptiness with anything other than God Himself. And how do you be filled with the fullness of God? By being rooted and grounded in love. Period. Period. But that results in something so beautiful. Ministry from the overflow of my walk with the Lord and not ministry to satisfy an emptiness in me because I need to feel important in the kingdom. You're important in the kingdom because the most 
valuable being in the universe died on a cross for you. That made you valuable when he purchased you at the highest price in the world, in the entire universe, in all of creation. The highest price has been paid for you. That made you valuable. And no amount of work at some camp is going to increase that value. Last thing. This one's obvious. Netflix is dangerous. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, come on. But so is FIFA. <laughs> all right, all right. Sorry, Richard, I put you on blast. I put you. All right. I say that to encompass all these things that we do to veg. It's okay to veg. It's okay to work hard and stop and put on mindless TV and sit there. It's not okay to stop and put on mindless TV for seven episodes in a row of Gilmore Girls Or any other show for that matter. It's so, so, so dangerous because it's so, so empty. You are leaving the real world and its real problems that are meant to drive you into the arms of a loving Savior and you're leaving them for a fake world that doesn't exist and it's nice there because your problems aren't there. So you trade reality and its realness for some non-existent fake place, when you start to really connect with the characters, that means it's good writing and it's dangerous. So watch out. Netflix is not the devil, but it can be. So just watch out. Watch out how you use your downtime. Get downtime, have downtime, but you need to be using one thing more then you use Netflix, and that is the rooting and grounding in the love of God so that you walk in an overflow and don't need Netflix to feel okay. Or FIFA, or I don't know, I'm so like, I'm so out of touch, I'm 30 now. What is it, Call of Duty or something? Yeah? It's just Netflix and FIFA. Call of Duty's over. Okay. So I say that finally. Just be careful. There's so much opportunity in what the Lord wants to do in you and through you over this summer. It all hinges on you having a rhythm of rest. When I say rest, I mean you stop and you anchor into the love of God. And it's not this crazy, ethereal, mystical thing. It's mystic in some way, but not in the way that you're thinking. I'm just stopping and I'm recognizing what the Lord has done, what he has promised to do. I'm taking my things that I'm scared and worried and fearful and I'm just saying, here, if you do love me, you're going to lead and you've promised that you will and so I'm trusting you. You better come through, man. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And I breathe it in and I breathe it in. Right.